Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to turn with me to Psalms 37. We want to take a look at this because, um, as I said, I think there's a lot of wonderful instruction in here for us. This particular psalm contains 17 commands and 25 promises. And uh, I'm not going to in any way try to exhaust those, but I do want to look at some of the things and pull some things out of it as an exhortation because I believe that and it's always good for us to have a vision and a revelation of where we want to go. But at the other hand, it's also very important for us to really know how to get there. It's how can we apply uh, on a day-to-day -day basis that which will enable us to actually walk into the fulfillment of the revelation and the vision that we have. Too many people are always looking for revelation without really putting the application that makes us truly spiritual. I've often said over the years that if you only have revs, revelation, what happens like it is in the natural, if you just get revved up, you usually end up spinning out. So I don't want to just spin out. I wanted to take a look at some of these areas this morning. And because there's a tremendous progression that's here in this psalm, and I want to just, as I said, draw some things uh, out of there in the timing that we have. Do not fret, he says in verse 1, uh, or be envious of, of the wickers of iniquity. Now, this particular word, do not fret here, it really, it, it's more than just kind of being annoyed. What it really means is that you're kind of, you're, you're heated up about something. You're really concerned, you're heated up because of what the evildoers are doing. And I, we don't have to look around too far today to see the evildoers are doing a lot. I mean, it doesn't matter where you look, it doesn't matter whether you, you watch the news or whether you just, whether you just look around you in, in society as a whole, there's a lot of evil taking place today. There's a lot of things that are going on that we could get perturbed with and we could get anxious about and we could fret about, but the scripture is very clear that we should not be doing that. We should keep our eyes single. Keep our eye and our ears single. It's an interesting note, perhaps a little side note. That if you'll watch in the Gospels, whenever Jesus talked to the people, and he says he had his, has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying. It's always in the plural. But when you get over to the book of Revelation, after the resurrection, he always says he that has an ear, single, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. Because you see, once we have the power of the resurrection within our lives, we should have a single ear. Just like we should have a single eye. But unfortunately, many times we still have both. And so this psalm will kind of help us to get things in the focus because, uh, so we can truly have a single eye and a single ear. So he says, don't, be, don't, don't fret because of the evildoers. Don't be envious of the workers of iniquity. Why? Because they shall soon be cut down like the grass and they'll wither as the green herb. Their days are numbered, in other words. Here's what we're supposed to do. He's going to begin to give a contrast now that is going to take us away from a, the ability or even the desire to fret and to be concerned with what we see going on in society around us. He's going to tell us the first thing we need to do is we need to learn to trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. What does that mean? To trust in the Lord means that we run to Him. We have a sense of security in Him that regardless of what's going on around us, our, our, our security is sure and we don't have to be concerned with what's going on around us. It doesn't really matter because our trust is in Him and we know He never changes. And so He says, trust the Lord, do good, dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. How many of us are feeding on the Lord's faithfulness this morning? I mean, He is faithful. 
absolutely faithful. And not only can we feed on his faithfulness, but because we're feeding on his faithfulness, we can actually, actually then also be in a place where others can feed on him through us. That's what we're here for. We're here for that purpose. And so as a result of that, he then says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. This word delight is a very interesting word. I, I, when I first began to ponder this, I, I was a little bit surprised at what it re- really means. Because when we read it in the English, it basically says, you know, you get happy, you're joyful, and you're just happy with, with the Lord and all that. But what it really means in the Hebrew, it means that you, you actually become effeminate. It means that you, you become pliable, you yield yourself to the Lord so He can do with you what He chooses to do. You become like, you, you become like, a, 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 like a, a malleable clay in His hands. You allow yourself to be so secure in Him that He can just kind of work you over in whatever way that He wants to work you over. In other words, you you become very feminine to God to where you say, God, whatever you have for me, I receive from you so that I might truly become that which you have designed me to become. It's the word delight yourself in the Lord. And as a result of that, it says he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, I've often asked people over the years as I've ministered, I ask them a question about from this. I said, when it says that he is going to give you the desires of your heart, does that mean that he authors the desire or does he grant the desire because it makes a difference on how we see this and how we will respond to the desires of our heart because i've heard preachers say over the years that you got to be really careful what to desire because the lord just might grant it to you and it may not be for your good but you see i i see that god not only is the author of those desires he also grants them because you see, if one of the ways that we learn to be led by the Lord is He puts desires in our heart, that as those desires begin to rise up within us, we can know that He's leading us, and we can begin to yield ourselves and give ourselves to the fulfillment of that desire. If I couldn't believe that, if I didn't believe that about the God I'd serve, I'd get another God. Why is that? Because if, we, if we're delighting ourselves in the Lord, if we're giving ourselves and yielding ourselves to Him, that He can do with us what He wants, why, if we truly believe that all good things come from Him, why is it that we would be concerned with the desires that come up in our hearts? He may be putting something in your heart this morning that you're desiring to do, and you've wondered, is that God? Is it not God? I'm wondering, is this the devil trying to trick me? Is this whatever? I can tell you this, that if you're allowing yourself to become pliable in his hands, the desires that begin to rise up in your heart are one of the ways God uses to begin to prompt us and to direct us and to, and to kind of nudge us into the place that he wants us to be. It's not hard to be led by the Lord. When we're led by the Lord, there's peace. There's joy. When we're led by the flesh, there's frustration, there's anxiety, there's guilt, there's shame. But when we're delighting ourselves in the Lord, you can do as I've done for many years. I've declared myself to be a condemnation-free zone. I don't receive condemnation. Because I know in whom I have believed, and though I may sometimes open my mouth to change feet and make a donkey out of myself, I have learned that I can repent. And when I have repented, it's gone. It's gone. And when I've repented of something, and, and I bring it to the Lord and get it under the blood of Jesus Christ, what does God do with that? What does the Father do with that which we have repented of? 
He forgives. Does he remember it or does he forget it? He forgets it. Now let me ask you a question. Does God know everything? Is he, om is he omniscient? Does he know all things? Well, if he forgot it, did it ever happen? We're talking grace here. We're talking mercy. We're talking understanding of who we are in Him and understanding of a relationship because we're delighting ourselves and we're making ourselves pliable. And yes, we're all going to make a boo-boo. We're, we're, we're all going to uh, uh, fall at times, but He is there with grace and mercy to pick us up. Why? Because He wants us to come forth in the place that He has chosen for us. He has an inheritance that's, ready, that's waiting for us. He has an inheritance for you. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. I was considering this morning as I was... This, this week is between other things that I had to do and thinking about what I would share this morning. I was considering taking you through some of the, uh, some of the, the prayers that Martin and I go through because Martin and I, over the years, have prayed through various parts, parts of Scripture. And uh, when we do that, we take the Scripture, make it very personal, and we, we actually pray the Scripture. We actually come into alignment with that so we become the living Word. And uh, I was considering doing that. It's more a little bit of a challenge to do it with a, with a group, but I'm going to do that sometime when I have opportunity to take you through some of the prayers that we pray and actually bring you into the place where it becomes a living word within you because that, that so identifies us with the word that we actually become the word and we see it fulfilled in us because of the identification with it. And so he says here, we're to delight ourselves in the Lord. Delight ourselves and he'll give you, he'll give you, the desires of your heart. What's in your heart this morning? What are you desiring? What is there that you're desiring that is, would cause you to become more pliable and, and more, more in agreement and in alignment with God's intention and purpose for your life? What's there? If there's something that may be beyond your comfort zone, it's, if it's stretching you out of where you've been, it's, 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 it's getting you to the place where you say, man, I don't know how in the world I could possibly do that. That's probably God. I've often said over the years, if it's not impossible, it's not God. Because if we could do it, we wouldn't need Him. You see, that's where grace comes in. We don't need grace if we can do something ourselves. I mean, if we have a natural ability to do something, why do I need grace? So how do we get into grace? We come to the limit of our own ability, and then we take another step in faith. And it's in that step of faith that we step into God's grace. That's why Jesus was always so effective because he, he said, I do nothing excepting what I see my father doing. He was, and by today's standards, Jesus would have been considered a wimp because he never did anything original. He only did what he saw his father doing. So it didn't originate in him, it originated in the father. And so when he moved in what his father was doing, it was always perfect. Oh, that we could learn that. So that we might always live in the grace of God. 
Now as we're trusting and delighting, we can now commit your way to the Lord, he says in verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. This is, again, it's an interesting Hebrews word, Hebrew word. It's a, it's a word that means that you just kind of roll your way over. It's like going to bed at night when you're really tired. You just kind of flop over into bed and, and, and you just, just commit yourself to the bed. That's kind of how this is. Therefore, it says you can commit your way to the Lord, and it says you can trust in Him. You see, we will, commit our, we will commit our way to Him to the degree that we trust Him. To the degree that we trust Him. Now, if we were to hold our place right here very quickly and go over to the book of Proverbs, we want to take a look at Proverbs chapter 16 just really quickly and just see what else. Here, here it says we are to commit our... our, our um, our way to him over in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3 it says commit your works to the Lord and he'll and your thoughts will be established so not only do we do, do we uh, do we commit our, the way that we go our character and who we are to him we also commit what we do to him and as a result of that he establishes our thoughts but we roll our way over onto him it is so easy in today's society to become self-reliant we have to make a living. We have to make ends meet. We have to do this. We have to do that. We have to become self-reliant. It's harder for us to learn to be so completely determined, uh, so completely, uh, 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 what's the word, so completely reliant upon the Lord that we just roll our way over. And I'll tell you what, I, I'm, not just, I'm not just talking to you this morning. I'm talking to myself because every one of us tend to be, especially if we're motivated in any degree, we're, we're motivated to go move forward, we become self-reliant. Every one of us is either a producer or a consumer. And you see, we're either taking or else we're giving. And you see, the closer we get to God, the more of a producer we become because He is the ultimate producer because He's the Creator. So the closer we come into relationship with him, the more productive we come. That doesn't mean that we have more businesses or whatever. It just simply means that everything we do becomes a, becomes a productivity. Instead of us consuming, expecting other people to meet our need, we're there seeing how we can help to meet the needs of others. That's good news. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. That's the way that we should think. That's the way we should operate. Because there are only two kinds of people. There are producers and consumers. Now it says, when you trust also in verse 5, he said, he'll bring it to pass and he'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the new day. The word justice here is, is literally what it is, is a, is a judicial verdict. It can be negative or positive, but because we're trusting him, because we're moving forward in who he is and with who he is, he gives actually a declaration, a judicial verdict that we are righteous. We are in right relationship with him because that's what it means to be righteous. It means to be, be right in alignment with what God declares to be right. If God doesn't declare it to be right, it's not. Now he says in verse 7, like I said, where it's so much we could, just, we could spend weeks in this psalm, but I'm just going to pull a lift a few things out of it because I think that it's, it's important for us to see. Verse 7, uh, this is where it starts getting good. He said, now because we're trusting, because we've committed our, li- our ways to him, now he says we can begin to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And as a result of, not, of waiting patiently for him, we will not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Resting in the Lord. Boy, that can be a challenge at times. It can be a real challenge at times, just to simply to rest in him we will only rest in the lord to the degree that we trust him 
But then he says we're to wait patiently for him. Some of you perhaps have heard me say in the past that the scripture reveals eight specific dimensions and levels of waiting on God. This particular waiting patiently is about as far as most people get. This is the third level. This is the third level of waiting on the Lord. Because I, I can tell you that it's one thing to wait on the Lord, and sometimes it's another thing to wait patiently. But here he says, if we're truly resting in the Lord, as a result of that resting, we're going to be able to wait patiently for him. We, we have come to the place where we've, we've gone beyond just a general understanding that, the Lord, uh, that we can wait on the Lord, he's going to provide for us, etc. But now we're coming to the place where we actually can be patient because we have a confidence that he is going to do what he's going to do at his right time. Sometimes God moves so slow it makes you nervous, but he's always on time. And as I've looked back over my years of walking with him, uh, I've been amazed at how much better his timing has been than mine. Wait patiently for him. And as we're waiting patiently, don't be fretting about it. Then as a result of that, we can, in verse 8, we can start ceasing from anger. We can just put it to rest. And again, we can forsake wrath. And, as a res and again, he says, do not fret. It only causes harm. How many have ever seen anything solved by fretting about it doesn't usually help anything it's hard on the blood pressure creates ulcers all the rest of those things that go along with it if we could just learn to just to wait patiently for him it's not easy to wait patiently for the lord but what that always reveals to me when i when i find myself growing impatient in my waiting, what that always reveals to me is how little I actually trust Him. Because if I really trusted Him, I could wait on Him. But because we live in a society where everything is geared toward instant gratification, it becomes more and more challenging to wait patiently. And yet you and I will receive and reap the benefits of waiting if we'll do so patiently. Otherwise, the waiting becomes a frustration and it creates an anxiety. And the scripture says that where anxiety is, it leads to depression. And so where depression is, there are the enemies having, uh, having control over our lives because we're allowing him to dictate to us through circumstances what our well-being is to be. It says in verse 9, he says, Evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. This is a sixth level. This jumps from the third to the sixth level of waiting. This is where you're becoming actually entwined like a threefold cord uh, that's not going to be broken. It's an entwining. You're so becoming entwined to the Lord because we've learned to wait. We've learned to delight ourselves. We've so learned to, to, to rest in Him that we're actually being intertwined with His character. We're being intertwined with His nature. Uh, and we're, as, we're, as we're waiting on that, as a result of that, it says we're going to inherit the earth. The word inherit is an interesting word. It's, there are different words used in Scripture for the word inherit. This particular word means that, that, that you, you get the inheritance by, by dispossessing the previous uh, occupants. 
So when we, we have, uh, you know, when we have the prince of power of the air, the one who is now governing and ruling uh, the heavens as a result from the second heavens, he's there. We need to dispossess him. We need to come into that place of inheritance. We need to come into that place to where we truly come forth into that inheritance. But we're only going to do that as we learn to be so totally intertwined with the Lord that you're beginning to, we're coming to the place where you can't distinguish what's the Lord and what's you because they're so closely meshed together. It becomes one in the same. Wow. I'm not there yet. You know why that most of us are not there yet? Because we're in too big of a hurry to go through life. That's why I've sometimes said that I believe the kingdom is going to be established with a third world Christianity. Why do I say that? Because when you get into the developing world, if you've never been in countries that are in a developing mode, when you get into those developing world countries, the pace is so completely different than it is here. They have time to smell the roses. They have time for family. They have time for leisurely meals. And because they don't have instant gratification, because of that, because they have to move through the process of getting what they, what they have, because of that, their, their trust level comes, tends to come to a deeper dimension, and they just simply trust and believe that because God said it, He's going to actually do it. We, in the Western world, unfortunately... We so many times, we've, we've given, well, when the Lord has given us a word and has given us promises, we put clauses and conditions and, and all kinds of things with it that, that well, if this happens, then maybe I could, I could really see it happen. If this happens, then I can truly believe. No, if God says it, that should settle it for us so we move forward and receive that which he has made available to us. Oh, if we can learn. Just learn to get a hold of it. it just, I, I enjoy the, you know, I enjoy the worship. I enjoy the, you know, the, 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 the good things and watching and see what God is doing and all that. But when it comes down to it, it's, it, it what, what is it doing in our lives? What in a practical way, how are we being changed from glory to glory? Do you know that each one of us has glory within us? Every one of us has already has something within us of the divine. It's something within us that's eternal. It's something within us that is far beyond anything this world has to offer. If we could just see it, if God would just open the veil a little bit here and there, that we could look into each other's spirit and see the glory that's there, it would change our lives. And yet we're to go from glory to glory. Open our eye, O Lord, that we may see and that we may know as we're known. Those who wait on the Lord, they will inherit the earth. Why and how is that? For a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you shall look carefully for his place, and it shall be no more. But then he, he, brings, in the, he brings in another qualifier here when he says in verse 11, he kind of comes back and, and picks up for what he's actually saying in verse 9. He says, The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. What does it mean to be meek? I believe that the more we learn to wait on the Lord, the meeker we will become. What is meekness? Meekness is disciplined strength. Meekness is disciplined strength. It's not being a doormat. It's not being a rug for your feet to be 
you know, to, to be cleaned on. It's not being Casper milk toast. It's not being one who is afraid to stand up for what's right and stand up for and declare the goodness and the glory of God. I, I'm sure that when Jesus was cleansing the temple with the whips and turning over the tables and all the rest of that, I, I'm sure there was nobody standing on the sidelines says, my, how he loves them. He weren't saying that. They weren't saying, my, how, how meek and mild he is. No. But what is, what is meekness? Meekness is disciplined strength. I grew up working with horses. Those Belgians away a ton apiece. And yet you can turn them with a word, sometimes without even touching the whole piece of steel in their mouth called a bit. You pull it a little bit and they turn. You give them a word, they stop. Give them another word, they go. Meekness, why? Because they've been trained. They've been brought into the place where that strength is there. Where they can pull and, 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 and they can move mountains, so to speak. But just a word can stop them. A word can turn them. A word can do it. Why? Because they've been disciplined. They've been trained. They've been brought into that place of meekness. They're waiting and they're waiting to hear the master's voice. The meek shall inherit the earth, Jesus said. Oh, there's so much that we could, that, that we could look at here. Just, just, it goes on and on, this particular psalm. is just this tremendous psalm. I, I, I'm going to, I, I'm going to drop down, I think, for uh, some verses here and, and just say, um, where am I going to pick it? I'm going to pick it down all the way down to verse 23, I think, here. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered are ordered or established by the Lord. They're established by the Lord. And then because we're delighting in the Lord's way, or in the Lord, He delights. He said, the steps of good man are ordered, and He delights in His way. I believe that although that is, the person is delighting in the way He's going, I believe it's also referring that the Lord is delighting in the way of those who have entrusted their way to Him. And though He fall. He shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. There's no disgrace in falling, but there is a disgrace in not getting back up. A righteous man, the scripture says, falls seven times. And the only way a righteous man can fall seven times is because he got up six times. The Lord upholds him with his hand. Do we believe that this morning? David said, I've been young and now I'm old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. He's ever merciful. And he lends and his descendants are blessed. Are you descendant of the Lord this morning? I'll tell you, when we get that revelation, if that doesn't light our fire, our wood's wet. Now, as a result of just understanding that he never forsakes us and he never, uh, that he's, uh, uh, our steps are ordered and all of that, he says, now in verse 27, we can depart from evil and we can do good and as a result dwell evermore, dwell forevermore. Why? Because the Lord loves justice and he does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever and the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Hallelujah. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Doesn't sound like they're going anywhere. You didn't get that, but that's all right. Verse 34. This is the sixth level of waiting on the Lord again. I want you to note, I want you to note something here. How, he, how, how the psalmist brings two, two aspects together. He says, first, verse 34. Wait on the Lord. That's your worship. Then, as a result of our worship, he says, keep his way. 
You see, so one is the inward part of our worship toward him. The other is the outward expression of what's going on inwardly. How many of us understand that our walk and our talk needs to come together a little better than it sometimes does? We need to worship the Lord. Wait on Him. That's our worship as we're waiting upon Him. And coming intertwined with Him. Connected with Him. You coming into union with Him. And then as a result of that, you see, when, when that happens, we then can keep His way. We can actually be an expression of that union we've come into. I know what it's like when the, the glory falls. We, we used to have worship there. We'd go into free praise and free worship for a half hour, sometimes 45 minutes, where there was no person sitting or standing. They were all on their knees on the floor because the glory of God came in like a cloud and was there. You couldn't move because the glory of God was there. I remember one time when, when we had a service like that where the worship leader, we, we used to set up where uh, the leadership would sit off to the side here. We had a worship leader who was leading the worship and the, and the glory came in like this and, they, and, and everybody was on their knees and he literally crawled on the floor over to me and he says, I am out of here. I can't handle this. You're going to have to take over. I'm looking for the time when that kind of glory moves into here. As wonderful as the worship is. I want to see the glory come. I want to see it fall. I want to see us be able to a place where we cannot stand or even sit, but we're on our face on the floor because the glory of God has so moved into here. That's worship. I've seen it. I've been there. That's worship. And it changes you because now you're going to walk in His ways. Wait on the Lord and keep His ways. And he'll exalt you to inherit the land. When is going to ha- that's going to happen? When the wicked are cut off, you'll see it. The psalmist puts it this way, said, I've seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree or bay tree. He says, yet he passed away and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. So why do we fret when we see the unrighteous making their braggadocious statements? Why do we fret when we see them flexing their muscles and trying to be something that they're not? Why do we fret when we realize that it's the Lord who sets one up and the Lord who takes them down? Let's learn to trust in Him. Let's learn to rely on Him because He's a good God. And He loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to be the head and not the tail. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, and the future of the wicked shall be cut off. But listen now to the last two verses, and I'm going to close with this. Salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It's not from our own hand. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but sometimes when we have dealt with people in, in our on a one-to-one in our counseling areas, we deal with people who have been in varying degrees of sin, and though they are Christians and they have asked the Lord to forgive them, they still labor under the guilt and the shame of that sense of unforgiveness because they have not been able to release themselves from the responsibilities of their choices. And they've not been able to release themselves, and, and actually what we, we use the term, they have not forgive, been able to forgive themselves because they feel like something Within them, they feel like they deserve to somehow be punished or deserve to have something hanging over them for the rest of their lives. I'll tell you, like I said, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if that's you this morning, if you've you've been carrying something that just has been weighing you down, it may not be always conscious, but when you 
think that you can, when it's time and you want to rise up in the Lord and you want to move forward and you just kind of feel like there's a cloud or something that hangs over you and is some, uh, sometimes uh, or, or generally hindering you from really feeling good about yourself or coming into the right kind of joy in the Lord, then here's what can often be the, the, the root cause of that is, is, is that we have not forgiven ourselves. And when we don't forgive ourselves, here's, I'll break this down for us because it's good for us, and, for us to understand what the actual happens as we analyze this and break it down. You see, if I don't forgive myself when God has already forgiven me, then by default what I have just done is I have exalted my wisdom and assessment of my past above God's wisdom and assessment of my past. Now when I do that, by default again, I have just declared myself to become my own Savior. Because until I can save myself, and if until I can somehow erase the past, I can't really be free. But here we just read, and this is one of many places where we could read that salvation is from the Lord. We cannot be our own Savior. We cannot be the one who redeems us by ourselves. We can't do that. Because when we do that, when we, when we by default declare, when we don't come into agreement with God, and when we by default declare that we are our own Savior because we can't forgive ourselves because of what's been done in the past, if we can't forgive ourselves, what we're actually doing then is we're propping open a door to open up what's called an antichrist spirit that comes in and that antichrist spirit begins to dull our senses and make us numb and put a wall around us to where we cannot relate to what good things and the right things in Christ or the good things in life because we feel that we always are undeserving of the blessing and the goodness and the provision of God and so therefore we're always under the circumstances rather than allowing the circumstances to come under us. Salvation is of the Lord. We can mental assent to that. We can say, yes, I know salvation is of the Lord. But you see, we relate to life from two dimensions. We relate to life from our mind, which is what we have learned through intellect and through study and, and, and uh, information gathering. That's how we relate to the world in that way. But from our heart, the heart determines who we really believe we are. You can be a wealthy person mentally. You can be a wealthy person with lots of money and know that you have wealth, but in your heart you still see yourself and feel as a pauper. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. We have to stop declaring we're king's kids while living as paupers. Salvation is of the Lord. It has nothing to do with you and me excepting for us to say, God, God, I can't do it myself. I repent in sackcloth and ashes as it were, and I receive the mercy and the goodness and the grace that you have given to me. That's salvation. Salvation is of the Lord, and of the righteous from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. In fact, he says the Lord will help them and deliver them, and he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? Because they trust in Him. Our God is worthy to be trusted. He is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to be adored. He is worthy to so change our perspectives in life that we do not need to fret about the wicked and the evildoer. As we close this up, I'd like to just ask the Lord to do something for us. I'd just like to pray over you this morning. Close your eyes if you would. Just kind of... Get into your secret place. Our heavenly and righteous Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for all that you are and all you've done and are doing for us. And Father, this morning we repent from any thought, whether conscious or subconscious or 
that, that, that would declare in some way that we need to be our own Savior. We repent of that, Lord. We close and lock that door to any lie that would de- try to declare that and try to sneak in to make us feel that way, either in our mind or in our hearts. And Father, this morning I ask that even as we have spoken your word, that just as we've drawn some exhortation from this psalm, Lord, that, that your word would go into our hearts and would make a difference in our lives, that we would truly learn to, to trust you, we would learn to commit our way to you, we would learn to, to rest in you, we would learn, Lord, that, to delight ourselves in you in such a way that never again will we believe a lie of the enemy coming to us. Why? Because you're a good God. You, are, you deserve our worship. You're the only God that, des- that des- deserves our worship. And so, Father, right now this morning, I want to take authority over every lying, condemning spirit that has wanted to come to lie and condemn and, and keep, our, keep people locked to the past and keep us in the place where we somehow feel we need to be our own Savior and where we somehow feel like we have to do something to help you, Lord, to be our salvation and our Savior. We take authority now over that lying, condemning spirit. And we say, no more. Go loose. Go in the name of Jesus because these are God's people. This is an inheritance. This is a righteous people, a righteous land. Why? Not because of our doings, but because we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have trusted in that shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we stand as the saints of the Most High God. We stand as the descendants of the Lord this morning. And we will not not believe a lie. We will not enter into a lie any longer. We stand up on the inside and we declare, the goodness and the greatness of our God. Seal it, Holy Spirit. Seal it into our hearts that we might truly, truly worship you, wait upon you, and then walk and declare through our lives that for which our heart declares to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the broadcast today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, We certainly enjoy doing them. And if this has uh, been helpful to you and you've been encouraged by the message that we speak, uh, come back often and hear what we have to say. We're on seven different platforms that you can find us out there wherever podcasts are are presented. If you have been blessed by this word and uh, you'd like to help support us or just give us a donation, we would also greatly appreciate that. Uh, You can do that through paypal.me forward slash ELIM1225. So that's ELIM1225. We greatly appreciate it for your support. Just let us know that that, that you enjoy what you're hearing. Also, if you prefer watching videos, we have uh, a video channel on uh, bitshoot.com. You can find me there at uh, bitshoot.com forward slash ElieMiller43. And you'll find all of my uh, broadcasts there too. So anyway, I enjoy speaking to you, whether through video or on audio. And uh, I hope you're having a great day. I hope that our messages to you are an encouragement and uh, that you will be blessed along the way. So for now, thank you again for listening. And uh, I hope that you come back often. So have a great day. Lord bless you. And we'll talk to you again at another time.